0: My question for everybody is what do you want that line to be between your two dates on the headstone? What do you want to say? Great father, okay, great in the community, or he arrived and he changed the world, or at least he died trying. Man, that's what everyone's got to want to go for.
1: Let's go! Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host Sukoon. As an advocate of conscious living, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs and choose authenticity because that is where your true joy lies. Each week I dive into raw conversations with inspiring guests who have undergone big shifts and are here to offer you the tools to do the same. So, get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. Well, hello you! Thank you for being here. Although, at the end of this episode, you might just be thanking yourself for tuning in because I'm quite sure that these next 50 minutes are going to change your life in some way, shape or form. Honestly, it took me a while to wrap my head around summarizing this absolutely mind-blowing episode. But if you want to enjoy stories, well, you're in for a treat today because my guest Spencer Lodge is going to be taking you through some of his most incredibly inspiring stories from his roller coaster life. And I mean that quite literally. You're about to hear some very valuable lessons on how to persist in life in the face of rejection and build your self-esteem, dealing with dark times and self-doubt and how to just play full out where you're happy and thriving, and what it really takes to live a life of meaning and fulfillment. And all of this coming from someone who has been there and lived it all. Besides being an exceptional man with a great sense of humor, Spencer is an internationally recognized serial entrepreneur, author, and business expert. As a sales expert, he has almost three decades of experience with building startups across the world into nine figure organizations. His passion really lies in elevating businesses and people's potential in an integrated way. But hang on, we're not done yet. As the host of the Spencer Lodge podcast, which happens to be one of the most listened to podcasts in the UAE, Spencer speaks with some of the world's most influential people, experts and thinkers to discover untold truths, unlearned lessons and important insights to redefine the meaning of success and help his audience lead a meaningful life. And now you're about to hear some of these insights from the man himself. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Thank you for being here. It is so great to have you. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah. So I'm just always keen to meet interesting people and you definitely top that list. It seems like you've had a very adventurous life journey and you've obviously accomplished a lot and I know part of your work as a podcaster is to bring up ton of people to share their inspiring stories but today I'd like you to share yours because I believe that there's a ton of lessons and insights from your journey that we all can learn so much from. So to start off with what have been your life principles that have helped you to get to where you are?
0: Um, I think that when when I look at my, my career history and my life history I was you know I was born into a working-class family I had my parents divorced when I was seven years old so it wasn't that bad but it wasn't great either so I suppose it was you know back when that was 1977 when my parents divorced so that was in the 70s not so not so common mm-hmm. but I think that I had been my dad went bankrupt at the same time and so I saw my mum and my dad separately have to go out and start again and build and be, become somebody again and so oh, wow. they had to deal with the shame of that the embarrassment of that after being successful and then they had to roll their sleeves up and realize that they've got to get stuck in and, you know, get on with their lives. And that's what they did. And I spent a lot of time with my mum and she was working three jobs. So I was the kid that would finish school at 3.30 or whatever it was. And I would walk until she would drive past and pick me up an hour later. So I was a seven year old kid walking along the street on my own, which mm. seems unimaginable now. But that was normal for me. Um, but I had this this woman that had three jobs, and she was demonstrating to me the power of work ethic without saying it, um, and dedication and discipline without saying it. And so that kind of stuff just rubbed off on me, and it started to be um, part of me. However, I wasn't very good at school. I was one of these kids that couldn't uh, hold information in. So if there was something practical to do like i don't know chemistry for example or home economics that i could get my hands involved in in doing stuff then then i could i could understand what it was but if it was sat in a classroom with uh, we had blackboards and not whiteboards but with the blackboard mm. just standing there writing things down i didn't really engage with it so i left school with only one o level and no other qualifications and was told by society that i wouldn't get into university and that don't bother trying, and that university means you 're going to fail if you don't go so you 're going to you're going to end up doing a right. you know, low class manual labor job and not and not pursue your dreams um and so I had to live with that in my society then, but it was a case of get get on with it and I was very fortunate to find the world of sales very mm. early um and I learned to sell, and I was trained by people for professionally working in London. I was working in the city, so in the financial part of London. Um, and I was selling office equipment. Um, and, and I learned some really, really valuable lessons in life by doing that because mm-hmm. every day I had to make 100 cold calls. And every day, whether I liked it or not, that's what had to happen. And a lot of people are phased by that. A lot of people are frightened by it. They don't like to deal with rejection, which comes at you all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I'll tell the story. My boss said to me on the first day, he said, right, these are the n- numbers you're going to call. This is the this is what you're going to say when they answer the phone. If they give you an objection, this is the way you're going to deal with the objection. And uh, you've got to practice it and get good at it. I don't expect anything from you. So for today, I want you to get 100 people to say no to you. And I was like, okay. Didn't really understand why, but made mm-hmm. the calls. And- right. No was the nice thing they were saying. Most people were like F off or B off or, you know, all the nasty stuff that gets said. And yeah. um, I got to the end of the day and I, I said, right, I've got hundred people said no. And he came over, gave me a high five. He said, awesome job. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, okay. Went back the next day, same thing. He said, get me a hundred no's. I was like, okay. And then the next day, get me hundred no's. And there were people on the, th- like the third and the fourth day that were starting to kind of say yes or kinder or show interest. But yeah. I had to talk them out of it rather than talk them into the selling opportunity. Yeah. Because my boss wanted these no's. And so we got to the end of the week and I'd got all the no's that were required. And he said, you've done a brilliant job this week. Well done. Okay, I'll see you on Monday. And on Monday, he said to me, right, what I want you to do today is I want you to get me 99 no's. Okay, go find 99 no's and just get me just one yes if you can. And so I got on the phone and I made the calls and I found one person to say yes. I got to the end of the day and I'm like, come on, I got the one yes. And he's like, brilliant. He said, so do you understand what's going on here? And I'm like, no, just doing what I'm told. He said, you never get a yes without getting the no's first. So you have to understand you've got to go and pursue the no's because if you get enough no's, someone's going to say yes. And no is part of the game. So rejection is part of the game. And if you understand you need to be rejected to earn acceptance, yeah. And that's when you'll overcome any fears you have around prospecting for clients. Um, and it was a great lesson for me. And then, you know, I then never feared anything. You know, if you said to mm. me, go, knock a 100 doors or make 100 calls or whatever it was, yeah. talk to 100 strangers in a networking event, I was the guy that would do that because mm. that rejection I knew I needed to get so that I could find my yeses. And so I then pursued rejection fearlessly where most people – was terrible. avoided.
1: Run away from it. Yeah. One or yeah. two
0: people say no. Their heads go in their hands. They feel mm-hmm. miserable. They're down on their luck. Oh, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody likes me. I can't face this rejection. They take it personally. And it's like oh, um, and I, I wasn't like that. It was different for me. And so, I then went on to have a great career in London, working in sales. Mm. Uh, and then, I wanted to earn more money. You know, I was earning good money, but I was spending good money, too. And So I wanted to earn more money. And so I got a job in financial services, went overseas to the Far East. And those skills, just those skills alone that I learned enabled me to absolutely destroy all my competition when I arrived overseas, because... These people sure. had this training, whereas they said to me, right, you need to get four meetings booked in today. And I was like, standing up on the phone, getting the meetings booked in, you know, you know, people saying no, I'm like, fine, no problem. You know, I've got people with different accents all of a sudden, different dialects, some people not speaking good English and in this different strange country. But it's like, I- I'm trained for this, you know, I'm, I've literally been trained into my subconscious, this process. And so it came easy to me in terms of the prospecting, uh, the work that I did in in, in sales, you um, and then I had to learn about an industry, financial services, and it was something I didn't really know much about. And I remember when I was trained and went through my exams and whatnot, I couldn't believe that people wouldn't save enough money for their retirement. It's just like, you know, I couldn't believe that parents wouldn't save enough money to send their kids to university. It was just, a, it was just like, what?
1: No brainer. It was just so absolute crazy. no brainers. Yeah. I would
0: be an idiot not to do this. Why can't people see this? And I realized that people had a really weird relationship with money. They knew how to spend it, they would buy things that were irrelevant, but they knew how to spend it, but they didn't know how to get their money to make money for them. Mm -hmm. And so that was fascinating to me. And I could see so many people, you know, getting divorced when they were 50 and losing half their assets or more, and sitting there and having to start again, and like being broke when they retired, and you know, never having money for stuff. And I felt to myself that if I could teach people to understand this and get them to use money the right way, and be really efficient and effective with it, then I'm actually a lifesaver. And so I kind of put my cap on and I titled myself the Fifth Emergency Service. It was like Police, Ambulance, Fire Brigade, Automobile Association, and then me. So my job was to put- Oh my God. And I'd sold that to myself and I created a belief system around it, which meant I would never ever have anybody talk to me about money in a way that I would tolerate or accept if it was irrational or, or immature um, or poor behavior. And so I just was on this mission then for a number of years. It's like, I need to make sure people bulletproof themselves against their future. I need to protect people. I need to make sure they're insured. I've got to make sure this is done. and. That really was a, a, a long journey for me of being in that industry. And whilst the, the rewards financially were great and I lived in 10 different countries, I was always on that mission of trying to get people to understand, look, stop spending your money on subconscious stuff you don't even think about. Yeah. You know, start, start bulletproofing yourself and then the world's a much better place. You don't have to worry.
1: Wow. I mean, from what I'm hearing you say, your circumstances force you to be resilient in life. That's what basically shifted the whole thing for you. And I know we fear rejection at some level, but would you think it's also embarrassment? Because the more you face rejection, the more you get over the fear of being embarrassed.
2: Absolutely.
0: I mean, the embarrassment isn't really—it's not really a word. There's a little bit of shame.
1: Shame. There's that's little that's little hardcore, though.
0: Right. And, and you know, and and you know, yeah. I, I, there's a story, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I've told this story before, but. I was in a bar in London, in the city. It was Friday night, um, five o'clock. Let's go to the pub and have a beer. And I was with two buddies of mine. And I walk in and I see this girl. And she was stunning. Mm -hmm. She had dark brown hair to about here, big brown eyes, olive skin. And I looked at her and I'm like, whoa. And I was like, no way am I going to go and talk to her. Not in a month of Sundays. And... You know, a glass of wine later, another glass of wine later. (laughs) Two hours later, I'm like, my my mates are like, just come and talk to the girl for Christ's sake. No, 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 she might say no. Anyway, two hours later, I wandered over to her, I said, hi, my name's Spencer. She said, why did you take so long? I was like, what do you mean? She said, you've been staring at me for the last two hours. Oh,
1: no way, that's amazing. I said, hi.
0: And I was like, I'm really sorry, anyway. I I got to know her, asked about her job, her career, her family and whatnot, and we chatted for a while. And then she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a salesman. And she went, why did I have to meet a salesman? I said, what do you mean? She goes, a salesman. I'm like, well, what were you hoping for? Maybe a a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a a pilot, an investment banker, you know, somebody, a, a somebody. And I said to her, Just remind me again what you do for a living. She goes, I I work for, as a secretary at an architectural firm. I was like, great. I said, and your architectural firm, do they have clients? She's like, yeah. I said, and those clients are the people that get invoiced and money has to be paid by the clients. Is that correct? She goes, yeah. I said, and do you have people in your company that go and find clients? She goes, yeah, client accounts executives. I'm like, right. So they go and find clients for your business. I said, and if you had no clients... (laughs) what would happen to your company she said it would go bust i said and what would happen to your job she said i'd lose it i said so these client account executives are the people that literally are the backbone of your company aren't they she's like yeah i said they're called salespeople. those people go out and find the clients now let me just tell you a few things about salespeople. they have to deal with emotional highs and lows on a day-to-day basis mm. they still have to put a roof over their head feed their kids Put the car on the drive and put petrol in it, okay? They're dealing with rejection. They're looking for all kinds of opportunities and they're getting dealt blows all day, every day. And they have to keep a smile on their face. But those people are the powerhouse and the engine behind the business because if they're successful, the business can make a profit. And guess what? If they don't make any sales, you don't have a job. So now should we rethink what we think of salespeople? And in that moment, she conceded and accepted. Oh. <laughs> But it really, really agitated me. Deep down, it, it it did something to me. It made me want to fight and defend salespeople and like protect them and and uh, get people to see them as being, you know, decent human beings and pillars of the community and bastions of business, you know, and backbones of companies. I wanted the people to see that, and it was only when I started to work with CEOs of companies that I started to realize that they really respected that. But it was all these people in these middle management roles that were on the salaries of 30 grand a year or secretaries to look down their nose at them. And so once I realized that these people in charge of these companies respected the salespeople, it then made me feel warmer inside again. and, uh, And then I pushed forward.
1: My gosh, I bet she never judged judge a salesperson after that ever in her life. What a lesson over there, honestly. She
0: dated me for two years. So.
1: Oh, wow. Look at that. So I know that you left school pretty early to pursue your career in sales, which is tough for most kids at that age, given how the future is so uncertain. But it seems like you always had this very compelling and strong vision. But with that, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs who are looking to start their own businesses?
0: I look at people that have a salaried job,
1: Yeah, actually,
0: I look at them as prisoners, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I look at them as prisoners. I'm like, so yeah. you gotta work. let's say you get your salary, let's say it's 50,000 pounds a year. You have to pay your mortgage, you have to pay your car payments, you've got to pay for the food, pay for the bills, buy your clothes, pay for your holidays every year, all out of this 50,000. Now, right. interest rates go up like they have done and your mortgage becomes more expensive. You have to make sacrifices. You have no power to change it. The only power you have is to go to your boss and say, please, sir, can I have some more money? Okay, that's the power you have. And so that's prison. In sales, you get paid for what you do. You get paid for what you bring through the door. And so if you work your guts out and you work really hard and you dedicate yourself to your craft and your industry and your skills, then you can earn way more. Now, of course, there are some people that are lazy and definitely some of your listeners that will go, yeah, but if I've got a salary, I've got security. You haven't got security. You've got a load of nonsense. You've got some story in your head that's justifying why you need to be there, which is actually bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's fear disguised by stability, isn't it? Oh, man, it's
0: like most people are caught in that trap. It's like Mm. I've never had a salary in my life, Ever.
1: Mm ever yeah. young entrepreneur you started early yeah well, i wasn't
0: yeah. an entrepreneur i was an intrapreneur so i was working in a company as a salesperson where the mm. infrastructure was provided so the product was provided the, the office the operations the, you know the invoicing there's accounts receivable and all that kind of stuff that mm. was all done i just had to go find clients
2: yeah so
0: i didn't have to build the infrastructure so i wasn't an entrepreneur i was an intrapreneur and i, I, I i've always been very good in that place i'm very very comfortable as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. um
0: And I just think that so many more people could have such a better life if they rolled their their sleeves up and started thinking differently about their situation and went out there and actually did what they were able to achieve. Because not only is that salary job a prison, that industry most people work in is a prison too. How many, you know, I I live in Dubai, 66% of the population is between Pakistan and India, yeah? My God, how many young people I find that are studying accountancy? And I'm like, is that your passion? Is that tell me your dream when you were younger was to go to work for KPMG, okay, and work as an auditor, okay, and train in that. Tell me that was your dream. It was never your dream. That was somebody else's dream. That was someone telling you you need to make sure you have something in the bank. You need to make sure you have some skill behind you. And it's like, well, I nonsense. If people were actually free to go out and pursue what they really cared about, what really mattered to them, then their lives would be so much more fulfilled.
1: Yeah, that really hits home. So tell me then, what do people have to unlearn to break free from this conditioning, to actually tap into their, their true powers and live a life that feels true to them and where their freedom is the ultimate value? Stop
0: listening to your parents.
1: That's it. <laughs> Simple as that. Your parents,
0: your parents you know, my two daughters have just been to university. Yeah. And they said, What should we study? I'm like, What do you want to study? Mm. And so my youngest said, I want to study filmmaking. I want to work in the movies. I'm like, Okay, I love we'll it. study that then. My mm. my eldest said, I want to study art and um and, and the history of art and, and graphic design. I'm like, Okay, we'll study that then. You know, if that's what you want to do. They're like, yeah, but what about international business or economics? Or, or, and I'm like, I don't give a shit. Go and study what makes you happy.
2: Yeah.
0: Because if you go to university and I pay for four years of uni for you, and you're there every day doing it for me and not for you, and you're doing it because I've told you to do it, there'll be resentment. And so why yeah. do we need that? Let's focus on what makes you happy. Now, if in every industry, every industry, there are multimillionaires and billionaires just because mum and dad have been driven down a path themselves that they probably regret we shouldn't be listening to them telling us you need to go and study business whatever it might be just because they did or because their parents told them to and that's what I believe now obviously I can't sit and tell all parents to do something different but I can tell young people if you really want to have a life of fulfillment think about what is fulfilling remember that the first thing you think is fulfilling may not be fulfilling but it's okay you can change you know I'm a big believer on making decisions Procrastination mm-hmm. is, is the mother yeah, of all.
1: I know it really triggers you, I'm, I'm aware. So Non-decision make, makers.
0: Make a decision. If it's a bad decision, it won't take long to work out, then mm. you can make a new decision. You know, I'm 53 and I can do it, why can't a 21 or a 25 year old do that? Disagree, I think you absolutely can. And so, as long as you're prepared to make decisions, you're prepared to be agile, you're prepared to go and try different things until you find what you really want, then, you're just going to be stifled in so many ways. And I just think that, that society has just gone on and on and on trying to get kids to get degree. You know, how many kids go and study medicine for six years and it's not in their heart? Or yeah. go and study law. And you think about AI now. People have gone to study law. They leave university, go to a grad scheme at a big law firm. AI can do their job.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: And now what do they do? You
1: know, yeah. and if
0: I do the job, it's like I'd be like, "Yeah, sorry, Mum, I's gonna do the job. I'm gonna pursue what I love now." Um,
1: so the idea is to basically stop fitting in and start pursuing your truth and do what feels right for you and brings you alive, basically. Yeah, I love that. And
0: I think I think that that happened for me in a number of ways. So I really enjoyed the business and the industry I was in, and. Mm-hmm felt very drawn to that and very compelled to be part of it and you know you talk to people about it and they'll be like that's not that sexy but for me it was really sexy um and then you know the 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 podcast started a number of years ago we were then able to meet incredible people and from Mm. that we were able to make the documentary on human trafficking and that changed everything in my life everything yeah i was i was honestly, a bit of an arrogant, obnoxious shit for a few years. You know, I was making shit tons of money, thought I was the best looking, best, funniest, whatever it is, guy in the world, had hundreds of employees all over the place, just thought I was kind of special. And, and I thought that material wealth was the most important type of wealth. And I realized that it isn't because with money, you can buy things. And those things invariably don't make a big difference to your life. You can go and buy expensive handbags. You can buy expensive clothes. You can buy expensive cars. Mm. Things that don't really make you happy. They make you happy for like five minutes. They don't really make you happy. And then I got the chance to be exposed to people that were nothing. way wealthier than I will ever be. And they had nothing. And after being exposed to those people, it was a real... Eye opener, a real wake up call for me, to realise that pursuing money, no matter what people think, pursuing money is not the goal to happiness.
1: Yeah, we make the means the end, don't we? That's where we really go wrong in this game, and yeah, Absolutely. get miserable. You know, but in, I have
0: to... I'm in London, and, and you say, "Hey, Spence, let's have lunch together." I mean, I don't need to. We don't need to go to Nobu. I can, I can go and sit at a cafe and have a cup of tea with you and a sandwich. I don't care, you know. Yeah, not, I love that. I don't, it's not important to me. I don't need a Starbucks with a lemon twist or whatever it might be. <laughs> I'm very happy to get a coffee at the petrol station. I'm not, I'm not bothered. You know, I don't, I don't need to wear expensive clothes. Just being in the presence of somebody that I can have an interesting oh. conversation with that may inspire me. Ha, huh, that's worth thousands, thousands more than any of that other nonsense.
1: Man, this resonates so much, the values here, i live just like that. And I got to say that that video on your website is so powerful because I love how within a few minutes, it just captures your essence and what you stand for, which from what I gather is about playing full out, living your potential and creating impact by helping people live to their fullest potential. So while the audience goes and checks that out, which I highly encourage, what would you say brings you alive?
0: Helping others. Um, mm, I see that. The documentary has enabled us to follow the journey of three heroes, three women that are remarkable human beings. One of them from um, Nepal, uh, not far from the Indian border. Um, Hannah Badi, who was a true inspiration to me, has saved 600 children out of um, forced prostitution at the age of nine Gosh. years old. Um, she herself was one of those children, she ran away. Um, to Maria concier Sau who has taken um, 700 children out of the slums of Bangladesh and brought them to Dubai and educated them internationally over here to give them a future. To Lena in Bulgaria that was trafficked by her boyfriend uh, and stood up and fought back against him and now goes out to fight and protect women that have been trafficked. I've, there are people that are living real lives that are doing real, really important work and, and and having a huge amount of impact. And I just feel so connected to those types mm. of people. Um, yeah. I'll give you a little example. Maria wanted to help these kids in, in Bangladesh. So she Googled how to raise money for charity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's think about the psychology here for a minute. What came up on Google was to climb Mount Everest. Now, okay. she's never stepped in a gym, she's never worked out, really. And she says, OK, if that's what I've got to do, I better get it done. Now, Everest is the biggest mountain in the world. Yes. She trained and she climbed it. She was the first Portuguese woman in history to climb it. So she broke a world record, first thing. Secondly, when I said to her, Maria, you Googled how to raise money for charity, climb Mount Everest, you could have done something else. In her brain, Everest was an obstacle between her and helping these children. And that's all it was. She's like, well, if I get to that and get back down again, then I get that money and I can help more kids. That's what I'll do. Whereas everybody else looks at Everest and goes, holy mother of whatever it is. Look at the size of this massive thing, you know, eight kilometers in the sky, blah, blah, blah. Um, But she didn't. And so for me, it gives me an understanding about how we can position stuff in our brain and how we can can lean into the important things in life. And we can, Mm -hmm. if we want to, move past the other stuff. We watch a movie a sad or a rom-com movie or a sad movie and we'll sit there and tears will roll down our face mm. and wow. you know in, in the movie free willy we're like come on willy come on man come on with the whale and it's let's get him out everyone's fighting for him in the movie we want him we want him to win we want him to you know have a happy ending and we, we, we we're moved by that now mm-hmm. we
2: have
0: we have physical uh, physical experiences from how we feel so We're crying to a movie. There's a sad ending The the the, the wife dies, the husband, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The movie ends and it's really sad and we've boohooed our eyes out, yeah? How did that happen? Because we got caught up in the moment. We got caught up in the story and that story came alive for us. It became real to us. Well, there are real stories out there of real people doing real things. And if we just took the time to find them Mm -hmm. and spend a bit of time with them, they would move us in the same way. The only difference, this is real life and not a movie, and it compels you, it pulls you in to try and make a difference. And that could be different things to different people. It could be animals, it could be human beings, it could be child trafficking, which I'm exposed to, Um, it could be forced labor, a load of different things. Um, Kailash Satyati, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, saved 80,000 children from child slave labor in India with his bare hands. There's a movie you can watch it on YouTube called "The Price of Free," and this is one man that his life's work was to mm-hmm. go and save these kids. man, that guy's so rich. Think about how he must feel about what he 's done and the difference he's made, and of course they'll always want to continue working, but it 's just like I have done good. Think about what's going to be on his gravestone. The age he was born, the age he died, that line in the middle. What is it going to represent? A massive legacy that this guy made a difference to the world. And my question for everybody is, what do you want that line to be between your two dates on the headstone? What do you want to say? Great father, okay, great in the community. Or he arrived and he changed the world. Or at least he died trying. Man. That's what everyone's going to want to go for.
1: That is so powerful, honestly, because I've always seen like a link between fulfillment and impact because we chase all these things. We talked about money and, you know, sure, experiences matter. But like end of the day, what really fulfills and fills our soul is how we contribute to other people in society. So I love all these things you're saying. And from whatever I see of you online, Spencer, it does seem like in you know, a pretty good place. But I also know that there is no success without failure. So... How have you dealt with the dark times and doubt along your journey?
0: I think that I experienced in 2012, the start of a very dark period for my life. I was between that. I was in that phase of making loads of money, being really successful
2: Mm -hmm. and then
0: finding no meaning in it. And then the gap between that and finding the meaning was where the dark period was. And, you know, People loosely talk about mental health and yeah. it's, kind of, it's buzzy to say, I had mental health problems, mm. or, but everyone gets sad. Um, when you go and climb on a building and you go and have a look where you're going to jump from in a few days' time, and you plan all of your finances to make sure that the inheritance is sorted out and you plan your goodbyes to your kids, that's when you've got a real problem. Because you are Is that how a
1: doggy went?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go past oh depression, God. depression is very dark, and then you come yeah. to a place that's very calm. And all you, all you do is, is you think, all I did, sorry, I can't speak for anybody else. Yeah. I'm of no value here. The, the, the world is fine. So this is what I said. So there's enough money for the kids, so they're fine. Uh, they have a good mum. Uh, they have a good stepfather. He's a good human mm-hmm. being. So that's taken care of. So they don't need me so they don't need me nobody really needs me i'm God. just getting in the way and so it's probably easier that i just go and so then you go calmly and serenely to a place where you work out what you're going to do and so you look at google how to kill yourself and stuff like that and how to commit suicide and to me it was jumping off a building was the easy thing to do and so i flew to london found the building came home I uh, came back to Dubai, sorry, flew to London two weeks later to say goodbye to the children. Um, and for some reason that I will still don't know to this day, my dad was at my house. Now my my dad lives in Newcastle, he never comes to my house. Mm-hmm. But up on the driveway, his car's there, and I'm like, why is dad's car on the driveway? What's, what's he doing? And I had, I had a farm, so it was a, down a private lane and all that kind of stuff. So I go inside the house and my dad's inside. He's like, hey, son, how are you? I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, oh. the housekeeper let me in. I just thought I'd, uh, I've got someone I would like you to meet. And I was down in this part of England. I came down to London. So I tried, hey, just thought, you know, we could get we could go. And I wanted to introduce you to someone. Anyway, go have a shower. You've just been on a plane. I'll make, you some, I'll make you some breakfast and then we'll go meet my mate. So I go upstairs, I have a shower. I'm like, what's going on? We then get in the car, we drive, he's chatting away to me about football and whatever it might be. And he drove me to the Priory, which is a a clinic for people that suffer with, among other things, mental health issues and clinical depression, and introduced me to a psychiatrist. And I stayed there for five days with the psychiatrist um, after then opening up. But my dad, I don't know how because I've not told anyone, my dad sensed something and wow. felt that he had to protect me. And he came and saved me. And had he not done that, that very weekend, I would have jumped off the building I planned to jump off. Oh, um, hey. And so while I, while I didn't recover quickly, and it was mm. many years of, of struggle, you don't get to a place where, when you're really sad and really down, you're mm. just, people that are in that place don't kill themselves. They're too depressed. Yeah. you you kind of come out of it a little bit, and you make peace with it. And when you make peace with it, and then you're ready to go, you go. And so that's what I faced. And ever since that happened, I've, I've less and less and less, but still to this day struggle. Um, Because you do question stuff. And I noticed that is such an easy word to use, which is gratitude, but mm. you know, it's thrown around a lot, you know. Be grateful, go gratitude. It's kind of like do some of that gratitude stuff. It make you feel better. Um, if you really believe in the word, and you really have gratitude, and you like you focus on it, and you and you meditate on it, it can really help you. So these these kids that I help from Bangladesh that are here in Dubai. I go see them regularly, and whenever I see them, it's like getting a dose of gratitude. It goes in my arm, Mm. I spend time with them, I feel alive, I feel appreciated, I feel loved. I'm sensitive to how tough their life has been, so I then feel lucky. And I drive home after that meeting, after having a wonderful afternoon, and I am on fire, on fire for a couple of weeks. And I go find them again, and they're, 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 they're my drug. Um, and being with them and helping them and guiding them and coaching them and having fun with them and going and having an ice cream with them and whatever it might be,
2: mm-hmm. is
0: just an absolute joy and a pleasure for me. And it teaches me that real happiness isn't found in Porsches and Ferraris and Louis Vuitton. Real happiness doesn't exist there. Real happiness is nowhere near there. And for the people that are stuck in that cycle of thinking it's important, I hope eventually they come out the other side, but for me, being financially secure is important. But mm. being able to give your time and help others in a really honest and meaningful way matters more.
1: Gosh, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. I would never have guessed you went through something as as depressing and dark as that. Yeah, that's extremely. That's,
0: um... In three days, three things happened. So my I got fired from the company that I'd spent 16 years building. And um, oh. The following day, my partner of seven years left me. Okay. Oh. And then the day after that, I got a phone call from the hospital where I'd had a spinal operation the, uh, six months before. And they told me the operation had failed and I needed to have it again. So oh three God. days, three days And it just went, woof.
1: So that really That's triggered it. But you weren't in a very good space anyway because you mentioned something about you weren't finding meaning with what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, what look, what I were you doing at the time? I wasn't
0: over the edge. It's not like, you know, I wasn't finding meaning. I wasn't overly happy. It wasn't, I wasn't depressed, though. I just felt empty. So then mm. when these things happened, it was just like, wow. And, um, yeah, and, 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 and a bunch of events happened, you know, Bear in mind, I'd worked in a business where everybody that worked in the company were your family. We're overseas; all these people that work with you are like your family because you live in a different country, and so all your mates are there. And so, getting sacked meant none of those people were allowed to talk to me. I was on gardening leave for a year, and so these people were like, "Don't talk to Spencer." And so, all of a sudden, your whole friendship network then disappeared as well. So, lots of lots of things happened. that yeah. uh, Lots of other stuff as well, but um. It, yeah it took me to a dark place and so whenever I meet people that are in a dark place I never never tell them to snap out of it I never tell them they're going to be all right mm. I just listen mm. you know, and allow them to speak because that's what they need they need a safe space to be able to speak
1: that's what's missing half the time with people and there's a very powerful lesson which you just shared there's so much you've accomplished in life now to where you are that it's almost like unrecognizable from where you were in that place that time but how would you actually summarize that what shifted from that empty place to now that you feel so full? What are the three, four things that have helped you to get here?
0: Focusing on giving, giving your time, giving your mm-hmm. money in some cases, but, but trying to help others. Now, one of the greatest things anybody can do in life is to allocate a period of time every week or every month. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say you and I were brother and sister, okay, or we were working buddies or whatever, and we saw, saw a lot of time, we spent a lot of time together. Once a month, Half a day, go and volunteer. Mm. Go and volunteer at the soup kitchen. Go and volunteer at a charity. Go and volunteer at the charity shop, whatever it may be. Go and volunteer. Go with no expectation of getting anything back. It'll be the best day of the month. It will be your favourite day mm. of the month because it will give you meaning. And so, then when you when you do that, then you know find. You know, and again, it's different for everybody. For, for me, seeing, seeing these kids trafficked and seeing these kids become prostitutes at nine years old is, is too overwhelming for me to bear. And so I'm compelled to try and help. Um, and it's very selfish. People are like, you're so selfless. You're so giving. Trust me, it's really selfish. Because by doing that, it really makes me feel good. Yeah. And I, I feel so good. And so mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you give so much. I say, like, no, 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 I get so much. But if you mm. focus on giving, you'll find that you get, and that's the, that's that that's the payment, and, the, and yeah, that payment is priceless.
1: Absolutely, meaning might come from different places, but it's very important to pursue meaning in the first place because that's what actually brings you feel alive. Yeah, and how how do you actually help people find their their motivation in life, their meaning, and break through their fears, Spencer?
0: Fear is a is a big word, and mm. uh, a lot of the time we see this approach to Breaking through. You you can't break through. People don't just you know. They don't just take that big leap. It's it, you need to build people's confidence. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you an example of today. This is today. So. My my daughter, my youngest daughter, is just graduating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. She's looking for a job. Mm -hmm. How's the job hunting going, darling? She's like, stressful. I'm like, why, hun? I'm just lacking in self-confidence, to be honest, and I'm starting to feel really demotivated.
1: Oh, bless her. I'm
0: I'm keeping spirits high, and I'm taking a nice walk in the sun every day. And I'm like, hun, that's so tough. It's really sad for me to read that. She says, I don't know. I've just been putting myself down in my head at the moment, and my process... Of finding 10 jobs then applying for them all is just so repetitive she's fearing now now my eldest daughter is is like me she fears nothing but my youngest daughter is is very fearful and Mm -hmm. because of how she's made she's nothing wrong with her She's just made that way sure I need to gently encourage her and 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 motivate her and get her focused on the things that will make her happy an end goal that will, will give her some some joy you know focus on a, a win you know let's have, let's focus on one little win what can we do and if you build it step by step you can create courage in people because once it's done it can't be undone so once you do a skydive you know what's involved so you will never have the same fear doing a skydive again because you know what's involved once you ride a horse you'll never unknow mm-hmm. riding a horse, How to
1: ride a horse yeah, yeah.
0: You, once you learn to ride a bike, you can't unlearn to ride a bike. You know. And mm-hmm. so getting to that point is where we need to get to. So it's like, how do I get her to, you know, getting job interviews every day? You know, how do we, how do we get to that place where she does two interviews a day? But There's a process. Let's take it to a set. Mm. And once she gets two interviews a day, guess what? She will know. She can't unknow that. She can't take that away. She now knows how to get two interviews a day. Can't take that from her. She will own that. Now, mm-hmm. if she chooses not to do that, that's lethargy and excuses. If she's never done it, then it's fear, which needs courage. And you need to build that courage into that young person in this example, uh, my beautiful daughter, and, and help inspire her to, to feel good about the challenge ahead.
1: So would you say, is practice that makes you tame your fear? Because you can't get rid of it completely. That's just how fear is built in us. But practice, is, right?
0: It's practice with encouragement.
1: Mm, that's you know, very important it's yeah. really
0: important to encourage you know, when you yeah. know you've got your back yeah you know, come on we'll oh, do it together it means so you know? much it's, it's gold you know <laughs> we'll do it together come on let's, let's let's do it together let's sit down right yeah okay, but it's overwhelming okay so there's these 15 tasks okay i'll do five of them you do 10 of them all right you have a, okay okay right, we'll, do, we'll do you do, do do seven and i'll do eight Okay, and we'll get them done together. Now, you sit on that table over there. I'll sit over here. We'll crack on and get them done. I'll see you in 15 minutes. And she then comes back. She said, wanting to please. She says, oh, Dad, I've done this. I've done this. Great, excellent stuff. Well, I haven't done as much as you. You're going a bit quicker than me. Hold on. I'm a bit of an old fart. So hold on. Let me catch up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, come on, Dad, you slow coach. All of a sudden, love that. You build that. And if you, just, if you just show people that you love them and you care for them and you're kind, they blossom in ways you couldn't imagine. And that blossom takes away the fear
1: i love that so much it's such a key lesson for parents and everyone else in this world right now yeah well there's obviously a fair share of messages that people can extract from this conversation but just for the sake of clarity what would you say are the top skills or qualities that entrepreneurs need to succeed in today's world besides of course sales is a big one i know that you can't do without sales but what else would you say
0: yeah discipline um, Mm. critical so an entrepreneur needs an entrepreneur needs a goal. Mm. But they don't need a five or a 10-year goal. That's just nonsense.
1: Yeah, actually, how do you push goal setting in your life? Three months. Mm. That's it.
0: Because you can see three, months.
1: Yeah. three
0: yeah. months. yeah. You can see three months. So mm. yes, I can see 90 days. That's down the road there. That's 13 weeks. I can see that. And so... Mm. I'm very clear on what the goal is, but I'm also very clear on what the actions are that need to be taken every day because I break all of that down. And so I know tomorrow what I need to do, what, I, what actions I need to take. And What a lot of people do is they get overwhelmed by goals, but they don't break goals down into actions, they break them into results. And for me, it's like the results are relevant, okay? The result will come if I just do these things. And so that's important. Um, and that means you must have discipline. But also remember that not everybody should be an entrepreneur. The vast majority of people that become entrepreneurs should have never become entrepreneurs. They should have stayed prisoners in their salaried job, what they should have done.
1: Why do you say that?
0: Because entrepreneurship is is tough.
1: Yeah, it is. is.
0: And most people fail miserably at it. Mm. And they
1: give up. Yeah, it's not
0: for everyone. Um, and, and you know, it, it's just it's just how it is. It's like anything, you know. There's some things that you know some people can join the military and make a life of it. Other people go in there and go, "What have I just done? This doing six weeks training's almost killed me. Sod that for a game of soldiers, you know. I'd, I'd rather be a florist. You know, there's, there's there's different things for different people. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, understand that there is no safety net. All right. Mm-hmm. it's very very clear there's no safety net when you fall you will hit your head very quickly all right or you'll land on your ass but one of those things is going to happen so remember yeah. there's no, no safety net also other, other disciplines entrepreneurs need to have never ever use your savings to build a business all right You're, if you use your savings to build a business you'll probably spend your savings and you'll be left broke all right, find other people's money to help you grow your business. All right, now that could be a bank loan, that could be a, a, an investor. Try and get other people's money to help you build your business. Also, great entrepreneurs understand how to find really good people. So, I've got five companies, <laughs> each of those companies has a CEO, and most of those people have worked with me for a minimum of 10 years. Wow. I'm crap in business in many aspects, okay? Operations, shit, finance, (laughs) shit, I hate it, hate it, hate it. Like I'm not good at it, but I've been able to find really talented people people that are good at those things and enjoy those things. And because of Mm. that, um, those businesses have been able to flourish. So find good people that have strengths that you don't have. Give yourself, you know, get excited by working with people. You know, a lot of people say, no, never have partners. No one says you have to have partners okay no no, one says you have to be a partnership you know you could own the company and they could be on a salary it doesn't have to be part but when you work as a group generally you tend to motivate and inspire each other and encourage each other and that always helps the towards the success of the business
1: yeah that's really cool i love those messages there thank you for sharing and what does personal development look like in your life in business like how do you continue to grow and evolve
0: so, well, I mean, look, my, sk- my one of my skills is is being a podcaster. But when I compare two hundred and seventy five episodes versus, you know, Joe Rogan one thousand five hundred episodes or whatever it is, I'm a beginner, aren't I? And I'm just a, mm. I'm just, a, just a trainee. And so, I'm working on becoming a better podcaster. I'm working on becoming a better television presenter. Um, and so. I lean into areas where I can learn that, you know, I go and get media trained, I, I understand, you know, better about that kind of stuff, every opportunity I have to be on television, you know, I take that as class, you know, mm. uh, classroom. And so personal development for me is looking at where you are looking at where you want to be and working out what you've got that can get you there, what you don't have that you need to get you. And how you can get those skills within you through self-awareness and um, mm, application, big one. application um, to get you to, to, to that you know that 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 what do you call it? North
2: Star.
1: Yeah, I love that. And how would you describe an epic being? As a finale question, an epic being. Yes,
0: you're pretty epic, aren't you? <laughs>
1: am I though? (laughs) I don't know. You're epic. That's why you're on the podcast. But yeah, tell me what you think of it. (laughs) An epic human
0: being to me is somebody that is is prepared to go above and beyond. Someone who's prepared to put other people before themselves. Someone that's prepared to lead with kindness. And uh, an epic person is someone that when they leave the company of another person, that person remembers them and says, I had a nice conversation with them. I won't forget that that's 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 my belief you know I want Mm. I want people to I want people to feel you know I I would love anybody that's watching this uh, reach out I don't mind but I'd love anybody one person is enough actually by the way I don't Mm. have the sort of viewers you have but one just one person is enough okay that goes do you know what I'm so glad I took the time to listen or watch that episode of the podcast. I'm so glad because now I'm, I've, I'm invigorated, I'm inspired, I'm, I'm, I'm motivated, I'm, you know, I'm giving myself a kick up the bum, whatever it might be, whatever terms that need to be used. And then they go and, and do something better with their lives because of it. And I think epic human beings have the ability to do that.
1: And I see them doing that from this episode of listening to you. So much value in this conversation, Spencer. Thank you so much for your time and your beautiful presence and sharing your stories and journeys along the way. Very, very cool. And where would you like people to find you? Well, my name sounds
0: like an old people's home,
1: so it's, <laughs> not, hard to, it's not hard to find me. Spencer Lodge, <laughs> you think about it. <laughs> Have you tried stand of comedy, by the way? all <laughs> and career option, ever.
0: <laughs> if you, you want to find me, go to spencerlodge.tv or I'm on Instagram at spencer.lodge or all these other places. Again, my name's unusual. I'm not hard to find.
1: And that's the wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this conversation resonated, help spread the value by sharing with a friend and feel free to share your thoughts and comments on Instagram at epic.beings. Also, to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you may want to hit subscribe. Until next time, stay epic.